We are continuing today in our sermon series where we are turning our attention back to our future. We recognize that there are two major things that have been happening in the life of this church. The first has been this ongoing pandemic, and the second has been the incredible amount of transition that we have had in our leadership and in our staff over the last year. And so while there are some things that we cannot be turning our attention to right now. We can't control the pandemic. We can't control how quickly things are going to return to something that feels normal. We can start to prepare ourselves for addressing the things that are right in front of us to address, to prepare ourselves for returning to plans for the future, to stop just reacting and responding immediately to whatever is in front of us, and to start looking ahead to what God is calling us to do and who God is calling us to be. As we do the work of rebuilding, coming out of this pandemic, rebuilding not a facility, but rebuilding a people. And so we're continuing in our sermon series, looking at Ezra, and soon we're gonna switch to Nehemiah. Today, we are in Ezra 3, verses one through six, and then 10 through 13. And you'll, you'll remember that what has happened, Israel has been free from exile, where they have been exiled in Babylon for 70 years. They have given that, been given that opportunity to walk back to Jerusalem and to rebuild a place that has been abandoned and falling into rubble for decades. And so they have taken this, not all of them, but some of them has decided that they're going to return to Jerusalem. They look around, they see that things are actually in much worse shape than they thought that they were going to be. And they still chose to set down their bags and to do the work. And so that's where we are now. They've set down their bags, they're living there, they're doing the work, and they're turning their attention to rebuilding the temple. That's where we pick up here at Ezra 3. It says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites were in the towns, the people gathered together in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, with his kin, set out to build the altar of God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set up the altar on its foundation, because they were in dread of the neighboring peoples, and they offered burnt offerings upon it to the Lord morning and evening. And they kept the festival of the booths as prescribed and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the ordinance as required for each day. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and at all the sacred festivals of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, according to the directions of the king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the families 
Old people who had seen the first house on its foundations wept with a loud voice when they saw this house, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted so loudly that the sound was heard far away. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Together, let's pray. God, you speak to us throughout the ages in the words of Scripture and the illumination of the Spirit. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit might illuminate our hearts now, bringing light to these words, to this story, and showing us where this story continues to be our story. Speak truth to us, give us hope, and give us the courage to go forward as your people once did with the energy and the promise of rebuilding and restoring and renovating this community. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Years ago, when Andy and I were newly married, we decided to drive out to Indianapolis to visit my aunts and my cousins in the spring. And while we were there, I asked my Aunt Martha, who we were staying with, if she could give me directions to the farmhouse that my grandparents used to own. I had these vivid memories of visiting that farm during the summers when I was a child, including when I was in the fourth grade and they held a large auction for all of the farm equipment before they sold the farm and moved into town, which wasn't much of a town. I was curious to see if it still looked and felt like I had remembered it. And so my aunt gave me directions off the top of her head, scratching out a little map as she spoke. They were the kind of directions that didn't include the names of streets or any route numbers. She said something like, follow the road around the bends, twice to your left and then once to the right, and then start slowing down when you see that old mill in the distance, and then, you know, count four cows and then start looking for a driveway. As we pulled into that long gravel drive, I couldn't believe how much that house still looked the same. There was the same white siding and that same carport that was on the left of the drive, that same garden that my grandmother used to spend her time in, and that cellar right in the middle of the grass that was squared off by the same storage houses and that same uh, fenced-in porch. So Andy and I knocked on the door and a blonde woman in her 50s answered it. So we explained why we were there, that my grandparents had lived there many years ago, and we asked if she had the time to let us look around a little bit. Whether she had the time or not, she never said, but she just welcomed us into the home and started to show us around. And just like the outside, hardly anything had changed. That large open kitchen attached to the only bathroom in the house still had the same linoleum, the same countertops. She told us about how they were about to renovate that bathroom because her daughter lived in a wheelchair and they needed it to be accessible for her. The sitting room, which the floor used to slope steeply down in the northeast corner, 
It had the furniture placed in the exact same setup that my grandmother used to set her furniture in. Although the new owner told us that it had taken them eight months to fix that slope, now it was perfect, just level with earth. Everything looked the same, apart from the things that no one had liked in the first place. And so as Andy and I walked back to the car, I reveled aloud with him about how good it felt to see that farmhouse looking so familiar and to know that it was in the hands of a kind and generous person. After returning to my aunt's house, she asked if we were able to find it. And so we told her that we were able to find it. And even better than that, the new owner was kind enough to show us around. And my aunt nodded politely and then quickly changed the subject. Later on, when we called my dad on the phone, we told him the same thing. We had seen the old house and we were even given a tour. And he responded the exact same way as my aunt. Well, that sure was kind of her. Now tell me, how's the weather? I asked him if he had any interest in going to see that farm someday, particularly since it looks so much the same. To which his answer came quickly. He said, not really. I remember how I remember it, and it would be hard to see it as something else. I didn't know exactly what my dad and my aunt were feeling, but something in my heart understood it. Even if the farm looked exactly the same, it wouldn't have felt the same because my grandmother wouldn't have been standing at that kitchen sink watching the sunset view stretch out over the fields of soybeans while she washed the dishes and my grandfather wouldn't be snoring in his chair in the late afternoon. It didn't matter that the things that they had never loved were improved, that the slope that made them unsteady on their way to the couch was removed, or that the awkward step down into the bathroom that always caught them off guard in the middle of the night would be leveled out. For them, it wasn't about the floor plan. It was about the people. It was about the history that was created in that place that was forever locked into the past and now only existed in their memory. They didn't want to lose what they had always known. I think that it's that same sentiment that we find in the Israelites in our scripture passage for today. When the door is open for them to return to Jerusalem after living in exile for 70 years, they went, which meant that they were leaving all of the comforts that they had built up over generations in order to go and build a community out of rubble. When they arrive, they find that things are much worse than they imagined. It's a rehab project gone way too far, where they now had to reconstruct not just the temple and its walls, but where they also had to rebuild a people, the people who had remained there for those 70 years, the ones who were the most impoverished, the most neglected, those who were left behind, who were living only to survive. Still, They decided to set down their bags, and they made it their home. There were a lot of obstacles in starting this rebuild, 
enemies from neighboring tribes who were unkind to the idea of them re-inhabiting the land with new wealth and with new progress, not to mention the harsh conditions and the limited resources. Finally, after two years, two years, they complete the foundation of that temple. And so to mark the moment, they all gather. Oh, I'm missing part of my sermon. That's okay, I remember it. To mark that moment, they all gather together in worship and they're singing about how good and loving God is toward Israel. Scripture tells us that all of the people responded with a great shout because the foundation of the house of God was finally laid. Yet Scripture makes a note that is really interesting about something that's happening in that very moment saying, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of the families, old people who had seen the first house and its foundations, they wept with a loud voice when they saw this house so that the people could not distinguish the shouts of joy from the sound of people's weeping. Isn't that a powerful vision? Some were joyful because they were finally able to see the results of their hard work and perseverance. And yet some are weeping, not over a floor plan, but over a people. Even if the temple looked exactly the same, their memories of how it used to feel in the past were now face to face with the present day. And you hear them grieving over all that had transpired to get them to that very moment. And you know what stands out to me the most in this scripture? regardless of whether they were ecstatic or whether they were weeping, God was present in all of it. God didn't tell the joyful ones to tone down their gratitude and exuberance out of respect for the sorrowful ones, just as God didn't tell those who were crying out in lament to pull it together, stiffen their lip, fall into line. God was present in each person's joy and God was present in each person's lament because the situation, my friends, called for both. Because it was amazing that the foundations had been laid and it was amazing that this past was gone and they could not be faithful if they didn't experience it all. They needed the mixed emotions in order to worship fully. And God was present for all of it, my friends. God was present in the laments and God was present in their joy, just like God is present for all of us here. We have our own mixed emotions, don't we? And God is not here telling those of us who are joyful that we have to tone it down, just like God isn't here telling any of us who are lamenting that we better pull it together. You know, about 90% of the comments and the reflections that we get from congregants that are given and shared with us here at the staff or shared with me, about 90% of them are words of encouragement, are words that say, gosh, we are so grateful for the amount of change we have been able to endure in a relatively short amount of time for the successes that we have seen. And still there are others who say, you know, this just doesn't feel like my church anymore. I feel like things are changing too fast. I feel like I'm being left behind. 
And to those people who have had the courage to say that to me in one way or another, because I know it does take courage, I have told them all the same thing. This is still your church. These are still your walls. These are still your people. These are the ones, nothing has changed in terms of your community. And if you will let me be your pastor, I promise I will. Your lament is just as important as those who have joy. I don't know how many of you remember Scott Cormode. He was here uh, preaching in the end of August. He's a professor over at Fuller and a very good friend of mine. And when he came, he was talking about prayer and lament, talking about how sometimes we are afraid to share our laments with God or we are afraid to share our anger with God because we think that God is going to be upset with us. But the truth is that the practice of lament is a very important spiritual practice. It's the reason why we have a book in the Bible named Lamentations. It's the reason why half of our psalms are psalms of lament and not psalms of joy. God longs for us to be able to lament, not in a way of just complaining or of calling the manager so that we can threaten our heavenly manager and get what we want. That's a different thing. God still receives us in love in our childish moments too. But that's not what lament is. Lament is being honest with God, even and particularly when we are angry. Lament is being able to come into God's presence and know that God is not going to receive us like people do. That while people might bring down the hammer and be angry with us, that God will receive our laments with the same gentleness and grace as God receives our joy. It is important if we are going to grow in our spiritual maturity, if we are going to rebuild our people and turn our attention back to our future, then it is important for us to be able to build the spiritual discipline of lament. Now, You may remember when Scott was here that uh, he talked about a youth group that had discerned how we have this sort of toxic positivity in the world where everything always has to be fine, particularly if you're a kid. And so they devised this practice of teaching their congregation how to lament. They built this makeshift wailing wall on their facility and they gave people little strips of paper and told them, write your laments on this paper and put it into these wailing wall stones and it's between you and God, but let's practice it. And what they found was that the people in the congregation, the adults who responded with enthusiasm to this still didn't know how to lament. And so they taught them how? Using Mad Libs. You remember that? It's the fill in the gap. And so they had them fill in the gaps and finish the sentences with their lament. God, I am angry when, fill in the gap. God, fix this thing and fill in the gap. God, I praise you even when, fill in the gap. And what they found is that congregation 
filled in so many gaps that they started to transform that wall just as they started to transform their own hearts and their own community. Friends, we are called to practice our honesty with God. And so, for those of you who are on campus today, you might have noticed, we have our own wailing wall in our courtyard. And next to it, we have some strips of paper and pen And we have our own reminder of our Mad Libs. God, I am upset. I am sad. I long for you to fix. So that each person here can go and write down their lament and press it into the crevices in that wall. No one is going to read your lament. I'm not going to read it. Our staff isn't going to read it. This is an opportunity for us to practice our honesty between us and God alone. But that wall is going to be up for the next three Sundays and the two weeks in between so that we as a community can be honest. We have a lot to celebrate, my friends. We really do. We've been making it through. We have had a lot of successes. There have been a lot of wonderful changes. A youth group that is meeting every single week with 20 kids in it. A vibrant children's ministry program. An expansion in our small groups. We have done an incredible amount, but that doesn't mean that there aren't things that just don't feel the same. And you know what? It's okay. So I invite you. In the spirit that called those people to come together and mingle their voices of joy and lament, let's do the same. And know that God can handle your honesty and that God demands it. Amen.